Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So, uh, as we as we commemorate the Pesach, we look forward to the new life that we have in in God. Right, our children, our ancestors came out of uh, Egypt, slaves, and they were entering into a new life with God as free people. So it was a, a real transition, a change, uh, an extraordinary kind of change for them, I would imagine. But now that they would be free people, what would that mean to be free? And uh, I want us to be thinking about that. What does it mean that uh, the Messiah Yeshua was rose from the dead and that we are a part of his, him, and a part of his people? What does it mean for us personally in our lives? In his, uh, in his book, Man's Quest for God, uh, Rabbi Josh, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, he wrote this. He said, to worship is to rise to a higher level of existence, to see the world from the point of view of God. In worship, we discover that the ultimate way is not to have a symbol, but to be a, st a symbol, to stand for the divine. So in the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua, we become something else. Just as the children of Israel, when they left that, uh, their slavery in Egypt, became something else. We know that at the mountain on Sinai, God made them into a new kind of people, a holy people, priesthood. Well, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us a very similar kind of thing. And I want to look at a, a little bit of it, just two verses of it with you this morning, as we consider life in Messiah and what it's supposed to mean for us. This, we've been taken out of an Egypt of our former lives and brought into a new kind of life. So what should that life be? So in, in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Messiah Yeshua, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. So here he says in Ephesians, you want to know where we are? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. <laughs> 1, 3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. Now, I don't know that we often consider this reality for ourselves. What does that mean? And what should, how, what it, how should it be reflected? Well, as Rabbi Heschel told us, that to worship is to rise to higher levels. That we, we begin to see the world through God's eyes. And he's allowed us, in a very special way, to have that blessing. That through Messiah Yeshua... We have eyes that can see what others cannot see, if only we will. You see, here's the thing. Just as the children of Israel, having come out of Egypt, having been slaves for generation upon generation, had to have a complete you know, mind adjustment, their identity changed. They went from being one kind of people to another. The same thing is true for us. 
that we have to identify ourselves differently as a result of our faith in Messiah Yeshua. You see, the part of our problem is we keep our old self. That's what we wind up doing. We keep our old self intact as we enter into the new life in Messiah Yeshua. Yes, he may have done this for me, and he did that, and I feel much better, and all of that other stuff. The problem is, is that we don't leave the old person behind. So often, I mean, listen, our, our people spent 40 years in the desert, mostly, and a whole generation died there because they couldn't make the adjustment. They couldn't see themselves another way. And so it was only that generation born in freedom that actually made it into the promised land. It's hard to change. And yet it is a necessary step if we are to understand who we really are in Messiah and the power of his resurrection. You are not who you once were. And you need, we all need to stop thinking of ourselves in that way. The sooner that we do, the sooner we can adopt our new identity in Messiah Yeshua and become the kind of people that God is looking for us to be. What he wanted from his people Israel. As he said, as said to them on the mountain, if you will do these things, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we each need to examine what it means for us to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Every spiritual blessing. You know, I wonder if sometimes when we're praying, you'll notice how some of the prayers... They, they just repeat different words for praising God over and over and over. Bless, praise, glorify, extol. You know, and why we're, we're doing that? You know, wouldn't one word suffice? Okay, God, we said we love you, we exalt you, and th- th- let's get on with it. No, we've got to sit there for three sentences praising God with different words. It's to, I think part of it is to remind us of the greatness of God and how great he is because really there's nothing in the human language that can really express it, is there? And so we just keep piling it on until we finally exhaust our vocabulary. Well, it's in the same way that we have all of these blessings that are part of us and we need to be reminded about that. That our lives, you know, we, we probably sit around counting all the bad things that happen. Oh, I got this ache and pain today. I can't believe that. Oh, no, this bill over here. That person, what a misery. You know, we, we, we're good at counting the curses in our lives or the bad stuff. And we fail to remember that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. That we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. That, are, that, that we have so much that we have all of that to share. Well, what are we going to do about it? When are we going to change our mind? We're the chosen of God. Listen, it says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then it says in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I, I, I love Jared's illustration. I'd never heard that story be, behind it before. I've heard the story of what's written in the, in the Tefillin of God. <laughs> I never heard that particular story. But I want us to think about this, that God chose us. He chose Israel 
and he's allowed the nations in. From the foundation of the world, this was his purpose in, in creation. That long ago, in the tefillin of God, he already wrote our names. We were already there. This ought to help us to understand the power that is in us to change our world, to change not only our personal lives, which we should, but to change the environment around us to make it a better place. He hasn't left us with no, with no weapons. And yet we feel so impotent so often. And I think it's mostly because we forget who we really are. We do, you see? The children of Israel, as we wandered through the desert, you know, there were days when it was hot and nasty, when there was very little water, something was going on. Man, can you imagine, look, imagine a camp with a million people in it or more. And we're all living in tents, and it's probably crowded. You know, I mean, how much are you going to spread out? And it's probably crowded and noisy. The kids are running around all over the place, and animals, and this and that. And you know what? It's, you know, I'm an, I don't want to listen to this anymore. I need to get a vacation. You know, no vacations. Forty years, no vacations. I, you know, that's kind of tough. It's, it's at those moments you look around and you see what's out there, and you say to yourself, this is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure I'm into it. It's dirty and it's smelly and it's noisy until we go into the Mishkan. See, that's where we find the truth. The truth is not out here in the, you know, in the outer court, but in the Mishkan, because there they could get a glimpse of the glory of God. And that's what we need to do. That's why Rabbi Heschel tells us it's in worship that we rise to these higher levels that we begin to see the world from the point of view of God. And we discover something else. That in worship, uh, we discover that the ultimate way is not to have a symbol, to see something up there, but rather to be, to be at that symbol and stand for the divine. When we know who we really are, we know that we are the symbol. We are the sign, not only to ourselves, but to the rest of the world. And that's what we need to be doing. He tells us again in verse, further on in verse 4, he says, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That we would be that symbol of the divine in the world. That's who we are. That's who you are. Do you reflect that in your life? Or are you holding on to the old self? See, that's what we have to, every day, we have to try to shed the old self, to die to that old, old thing, so that we can live in Messiah Yeshua. And the more we're able to do that, the more effective we are going to be in our life, in every aspect of our life, by the way. Not just in some ethereal, abstract, kind of holy way in which one day you will inherit the clouds, 
but right here, right now, right in this, in this country, in America, in New Haven or West Haven or whatever town you live in, we can make a difference, a real difference in the world that we live in. That's the goal. But it starts with knowing who we are. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the foundation of the world, holy and blameless. Wow. Can you receive that? Can you accept that? See, I think part of the problem of our people in the desert was they had been slaves for so long. And now you're telling us we're kings and princes and, you know, we're going to have a country of our own and we can defeat great armies. And Wait a minute, Moses, I'll tell you what. This guy, I don't know who he is. You talk to him because I, I don't know if we can handle him. We have to be able to enter into that in its fullness. So, how do we do that, though? What is holy and blameless? How does that manifest itself? How do we stand for the divine? Well, Rabbi Heschel helps us with this, too. He goes on to say in, this, uh, in his book, he says that the ultimate way, the ultimate way to stand for the divine is to sanctify thoughts, to sanctify time, to consecrate words and to hallow deeds. Now, how are you going to do that? I love that he's a beautiful phraseologist, you know? And he knows how to, uh, you know, write a sentence. But how do we explain that? To sanctify thoughts, sanctify time, consecrate words and hallow deeds. And he gives us some directions, some directions that all of us need to follow because in being a symbol, there are ways that we need to be. You know what I'm saying? Things that need to characterize us as human beings. So he says, he starts by telling us that in sanctifying thoughts, is, uh, he uses the example of studying the word of God. Because when we study the word of God, we fill our minds and our hearts with God's words. You know, there's an old expression, you are what you eat, right? Well, what are you feeding yourself with? You know, if you're feeding yourself on crime shows and, you know, and pulp fiction and all the other kinds of things and the newspaper every day, you know, that kind of thing, that's what's going to be on your mind. What's on your mind most of the time? And so by the study of God's word, we fill ourselves with the thoughts of God. And when you do that, you, you know, all of a sudden, your view of the world changes. Listen, if every morning, you, you know, you get up and the first thing you do is you turn on the TV and there's a new, the news program and you're hearing about every bit of bad news that's going on in the world because presume, you know, seemingly that gets better ratings and so they don't tell you very much about the good stuff. And then you have to walk out and, you know, to go to work that day or whatever it is else, or else you're doing. I mean, where's your attitude going to be, right? going to be pretty low. But if we fill ourselves with the thoughts of God, if we get up in the morning and we read a little of God's word, the scripture, we read some of the basara, the good news of what God has done for us, we're going to have a much brighter view of the world. 
It brings hope. So we sanctify our thoughts with the study of God's word. So I want to encourage you, you need to study God's word, ladies and gentlemen. That's the way you do it. There's no way, other way to do it than to open it up and study it. Secondly, he tells us that we sanctify time. And you know, Judaism and Messianic Judaism is a religion of time. We're very time-oriented. The Shabbat is a special time. It's not just the day we get together and worship. Listen, devout Jews worship God seven days a week. Shabbat is different. It's a time for turning all of our attention to the Lord, of ceasing the work of creative activity, and just be, instead of doing, being. Because we'll, it, it's a symbol of the world to come. And we celebrate Pesach and all the other holy days of the year that tells us the seasons that we're in. It's very much related to time. And so by sanctifying it, by doing those things, listen, here's the thing. It's about giving something else to the Lord that you think is so bloody precious, which is your time. See? We, none of us, and I'm going to say this here, even though I'm probably preaching to the choir here. We don't do ourselves a favor when we, when we throw against that. We say, oh, well, I'm sorry, but I have to work because if I don't, then I won't make enough money. Yes, you will. You see that portion that Michael read for us about the slaves? It's a really uh, stunning thing. God says to us that you have your slave for six years. And when the seventh year comes, when the Shemitah year comes, you are to let him go. But you don't just let him go. You set him up so that he can make his own living and he won't have to be a slave again. He worked for you for seven years. You owe him something. And guess what? Remember what he said, the Lord says, I will bless you for it. You don't, don't think of it as a loss, you know, property loss. You set him up, you help him, and don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. I will make it happen for you. Trust me. You see? When we are willing to give these things back to the Lord, he is not a cheater and is going to leave us hanging. When we give it to him, no, do it for him, for his sake, he'll, make, he'll double and redouble our effort. The same thing with all the other time. When we surrender our time to the Lord, he gives it back to us and uh, a hundredfold. And so very much, it's a, it's a way of sanctifying time by observing the Shabbat and the holy days. And then he goes on to say that we need to consecrate words. And we do this in prayer. That prayer is, um, you know, I, I remember years, I, it must have been 30 years ago, I remember being in a, a Bible study with a group of people, and we were discussing prayer. We talking about prayer. And there was one person there who said, well, if God already knows everything, why do we have to pray? What's the point? There's no, there's, we can't, how do you change anything? Uh, and the answer is, 
prayer does matter. I can, sh- I can show you a couple of places easy in the Bible that where God, God's mind is changed by prayer. Moses prays for the children of Israel after the, after the uh, golden calf because God's ready to kill them all and start all over with him. But Moses prays. He intercedes for his people. And God relents. Scripture tells us that. Or Hezekiah, when he pleads for his own life, when it's already ordained, a prophet came to him and said, this is the word of the Lord. Goodbye. Pack up your gear. You're going. But Hezekiah prayed. Because of his relationship with God, God calls out to Isaiah, listen, go back. Tell him I changed my mind. 15, actually. (laughs) Our, Our words, when we speak them, matter. You know, last night as we were ending our Seder, we were reminded of the words of Messiah Yeshua who said to Jerusalem, he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only when the prayer of Israel goes up calling on the name of Yeshua will he return. That's prayer. And unless and until we do it, he's not coming back. He's not coming. And only if Israel calls him back, by the way. So the whole world could call him back. And if Israel doesn't, is not included, he won't come. So we have a job to do, right? To help our people to see him. Prayer matters. And we sanctify words. We make them holy. We change the world by praying. So we all have to be involved in prayer. And finally, he says... Hallowed deeds. You do this through the mitzvot. And you heard from, uh, again, in that portion from Deuteronomy that was read for today, the need for deeds of loving kindness. There will always be poor in the world. And it is our responsi- they are our responsibility to the extent that we can help. It says, according to the way the Lord has blessed you, you will help. And there will always be poor people. And so it becomes the responsibility of the whole community to take care of those who, for whatever reason, cannot take care of themselves at this time. We try to lift people up so they can pay it forward. Right? Not pay it back, but pay it forward. So the world will become a better and a better place. We all have to have that attitude. We can't resent people who don't have resent this because it's going to make our taxes higher or something like that. We owe it to them because we owe it to the Lord who said, listen, you know, he's ordained that there will always be poor. You know? And you know, there's a, there's a real paradox in the Torah because on the one hand it says there shall be no poor in Israel. And yet in this portion that we just read it says there will always be poor in Israel. What's, what does God mean by telling us those things? I'll tell you what it means to me. That God has created the opportunity that there will always be poor. But only we can make it so that there will be no poor in our, in our land. God is not making it so. We have to make it so. And can we do that? Can we share enough so that, you know, 
I'll leave, it, leave the word this way. There's a lie in the world, my friends. There is a great lie, and I think it is one of the great lies about the world that people try to perpetrate on us all the time. And that is that we live in a world of limited good. That there's only so much to go around. And so everybody has to grab as much as they possibly can so that they will survive. That is a lie. God did not create a world which was not sufficient for his creation. He looked at it and he said, Tov Maod, it is very good. Everything is there. The problem is that there are liars in the world who say, that's not true, and I have to have this much and so much more in order to survive. And so they will not share it. What we have to do is to help them to learn that if they sh we all share it, we will all have not enough, but an abundance. That's something to pray for. And we can share what we have with others so that all can have enough. Well, you know, there's a bumper sticker that you've all seen before where it says, uh, do, acts, uh, uh, do random acts of kindness. Remember that one? Well, I think... Uh, there should be nothing random about our acts of kindness. Rather, it should be what best characterizes us. If we are truly people living in the power of the resurrection, then that resurrection life should be reflected in everything that we do. So, considering that God blessed us with every spiritual blessing, so much that we can share it, shows us before the foundation of the world Know that we are precious, written in the tefillin of God. And holy and blameless before him. Let's do it. Let's not have a symbol, but be a symbol and stand for the divine. In this way, we can help to renew the world around us. Let's pray. Holy One of Israel, Lord, we bless you. And thank you that you did cho choose us even from the foundation of the world. Help us now to recognize precisely who we are so that we can be who you have meant us to be. Help us to change the world through our words, through our deeds, through our very presence. And we long, O oh Lord, for the power of the Messiah Yeshua to be reflected in us day after day until he returns again and completes not only us, but all the world. Let us all say, Amen.